0: Hey everybody, it's me, James and Tricasso. Welcome to the Tome Show's coverage of Gen Con 2016. I am putting this generic beginning in front of all the panels we recorded live just to give you a heads up that we didn't have as much control over the recording environment as we normally do. So that means things like background noise, volume levels, and also explicit content uh, we did not have control over. So we just wanted to give you a heads up that there might be a few of those issues going forth, especially this explicit content. So if you're listening with younger ears or you're more sensitive, we just want you to be aware. And I'd also like to let you know that you should use the affiliate links at thetomeshow.com for Amazon or the DMs Guild whenever you shop on those places. Just click on the banners in the show notes for this episode or any other and then shop as you normally would. And I'd also like to thank our sponsor for this podcast, noblenight.com. Their brick-and-mortar game store where Out of Print is available again. They have D&D and other tabletop RPGs, any edition, any product. With Noble Knight, you can even sell your old gaming products that you aren't using anymore. All right, we're going to hear a quick word from them, and then it's time to go to Gen Con. In an election year, gamers can be divided on almost every issue. Is it more important to support a small business, or to have the convenience of buying your gaming products online? Do you play shiny new systems full of epic awesome, or gritty older out-of-print games that make even the groggiest of nards quake with fear? In this economy, is it time to stock up on as many high-quality, discounted gaming products as possible, or is it time to sell the old gaming products you aren't using anymore? We are divided on every important issue. So in 2016 you should support the store that lets you do it all noble knight a brick and mortar small business with a strong online presence that has new products and specializes in out of print all at a price you'll love and yes they'll buy your old gaming products as well check out the incredible offerings at noblenight.com. tell them the tome show sent you and help make gaming great again all right, hello, everybody. Uh, welcome to the digital future of 5th edition D&D. Uh, I'm James Intercaso. Uh I am a podcast host on the Tome Show Network. I have another podcast called Have Spellbook, Will Travel with uh, Rudy Basso, who I think is in the back over there. Uh, and uh, I also uh, write a blog called World Builder Blog. Uh, that won an Emmy last night. Uh, Yay! So, um, I'm very excited to be hosting this panel, and we have a lot of really, really great guests, uh, and we're going to talk a lot about um, sort of the future of digital tools. Uh, so this isn't going to be a, a crazy marketing panel where these guys are, like, pitching their products to you constantly. Um, this We're actually going to have some really great discussion uh, that I am excited to have. So... Uh, why don't we start with this gentleman on my left? Is uh, Matt McElroy. Uh, he's the director of publishing for Drive Through RPG and Drive Through Comics. Uh, he works with publishers to deliver your favorite RPGs and comics in digital and print editions. He also does freelance development and game design for companies like Onyx Path Publishing and Margaret Weiss Productions. Uh, some of the lines he has worked on include Vampire: The Masquerade and Hunter: The Vigil. So that is Matt. Uh, and, uh, then right next to Matt, we have Doug Davison. Uh, Doug is the president of SmiteWorks, the creators of Fantasy Grounds, the virtual tabletop software. Doug has spent nearly the last three decades as a gamer and works with a small development team to bring games from several dozen publishers into the digital realm for play. Fantasy Grounds acquired a license to provide the digital content, uh, digital conversions for Dungeons & Dragons for online play and have converted every D&D 5th edition module for online and local play. They also provide conversions for numerous third-party adventures and supplements, and they feature the most extensive library of licensed properties of any other virtual tabletop. So that is Doug. And his booth is 1041 if you want to check it out. Uh, Next to Doug is the one and only Rob Fowles. Uh, he is the president of Lone Wolf Development and architect of products such as Realmworks, Hero Lab, and Army Builder. <laughs> Rob has spent the past two decades creating software used by tens of thousands of gamers to augment the tabletop gaming experience. And his booth is 1143 on the floor. So uh, check him out. We have some great people, including uh, Tobias Drury. Uh, he's the president of Mesa Mundi, creators of the monolith touch table D20 Pro Virtual Tabletop and co-creators of Dice or Battle Dice 40,000. Uh, Tobias combines years of role-playing game experience with a blend of art and computer science skills. Together with a small team of talented programmers, artists, and engineers, Mesa Mundi Inc. has redeveloped the D20 Pro Virtual Tabletop from the ground up to provide expanded game systems, uh, shadow casting, and many other advanced features. His booth is 1754, if you want to check him out. And finally, all the way at the end here, uh, we have Ben Looms, who's the creator of the sound app Sirenscape. His passion for tabletop ten- games began uh, 10 decades ago when, as a 10-year-old... 10 decades? Oh. He's <laughs> all right, yes. He's, right, yeah, he's a lich. Yay! Yes! Uh, yeah, yeah. uh, began decades ago when, as a 10-year-old,
1: <laughs> <Yay! laughs> he was given the first
0: edition of Dungeons & Dragons red Redbox. Uh, he and his gaming group, the Dice Stormers, can be found on a YouTube channel. Uh, Ben's unique creative talent, combined with his love... Of social games has driven him to build something which is changing people's gaming experience. The evocation mood or the evocative moods. Wow, well, I am sorry. Uh, the evocative moods of Sirenscape, from friendly taverns to dungeon depths, help immerse players in the moment, just where he wants them to be. His booth is also 1143, which is where you can find Rob and the rest of Lone Wolf Development as well. So, thank you all for being here. I think as we think about the future of digital tools and as it relates to 5th edition, uh, uh, I think I, the first question I'd like to kick it off with you is, how is the work that the 5th edition D&D SRD, or license, uh, is? how is that different from what was done with the 3rd SRD, and what implications, good or bad, will this have on how things play out for 5th edition?
1: Uh, And why don't we start with you, Matt? I think uh, you're probably a great person to start with. Um, Well, the big announcement that we made this year was the launch of DM's Guild, Mm -hmm. uh, which uh, launched the same day as the new OGL, uh, which allows fans to create uh, official Forgotten Realms and Ravenloft adventures and classes and material, uh, and convert their favorite classic books as well to 5e, and uh, they can upload them to our site, and they earn revenue Mm -hmm. for that, and they review each other's work and create a community of, because everybody here has created an adventure or a new class over the years, but now you can actually share that officially with other D&D fans, and uh, it's something that's never been really done in this way before.
0: Yeah. So. And what do you think the implications for the future are that like they've opened up
1: things like Ravenloft and uh, you know, uh, Forgotten Realms for people. When we them. launched in January, it was the Forgotten Realms setting. <laughs> and you can also do setting neutral uh, stuff that's good with any any setting. And then once Curse of Strahd came along, Ravenloft was added as well. And they have told us that they are going to release more settings over time.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I can't say what the next one is yet, mm-hmm. um, but uh, I think <coughs> it's going to. Really revitalize because uh, every set, every D and D setting has a really strong fan base, and some of them have not been published for years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think once they're able to create material for their favorite setting, um, we're going to see a, a, a renewed interest in those worlds. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. How about you, Doug? What do you think the implications of uh, of the sort of the new fifth edition SRD OGL, the way they're partnering with people the way their license is, what are the implications for the future of that? Well, I think in a lot of ways, it's kind of gone back to the way
2: it was in Mm 3.5, and that they they started to deviate away from it in 4th edition, and then, uh, you know, you saw a proliferation of tools and assets and aids for running your game, and the creation of other content based around the 3.5 SRD, and then that kind of died in 4th edition, and I think that actually hurt, I think, 4th edition in a lot of ways, because it didn't allow other people to help continue to grow and lift it all up. And so, um, you know, you you didn't see character creators from other people. You didn't really see a whole lot of that sort of stuff in fourth edition because it wasn't really possible to do that in an official capacity. And now uh, you've got every one of the digital tools can now provide that data for people right away. So as an end user, it makes it so much easier no matter what system you're using, no matter what tool you're using, you can have like list of equipment, list of spells, common you know things that you can use and, and then base and then grow from there instead of having to recreate everything from scratch. So that's really what I see is, is the big uh, improvement there. And then what DMS Guild is doing, of course, is is allowing people to to then you know create the content and even you know capitalize on that and, and get some sales back and make some money off of their own creation. And more importantly than the money I think is the ability for people to share that. In a legal, official way, with some guidelines and some rules that they can do, and then have people to, to contribute uh, not just the money, but to the uh, the ratings and the uh, criticisms, and uh, you know, share it with other people, and to, and to comment on, oh yeah, this is a great module, and and just to see your work get out there and proliferate in a legal, official
0: way is to me that's the the greatest uh, asset and the greatest part of that. Mm-hmm. push. Yeah. So when you're uh, when you're thinking about that, then. All of this stuff that's happening now, when we're looking towards the future, like how do you think that's going to shape uh, the digital realm for tabletop games, kind of in general, not just D and D and Fifth Edition, but how do you think that's going to shape things? I
2: think you're just going to see a lot more people investing a lot more time in mm-hmm. creating content, yeah, uh, because they know that they can share it. And, and
1: SmiteWorks and One Bookshelf have just recently announced a partnership where DMs Guild creators can not only upload their PDF, but also create Fantasy Grounds compatible material for that. So when you yeah. buy, that's awesome. So yeah. like if I buy an adventure, then yeah. I have the
0: Fantasy Grounds files.
2: So not only do you Correct. get the PDF, yeah. but
1: you
0: also get the Fantasy Grounds
2: material. And so it started with the Adventure League authors are the ones that have been adopting that you know, initially, and then we're seeing other community people that have maybe <laughs> have already had it in that format, and now they have that outlet again to share that. And, uh, and then you end up with both a PDF version and a digital version that you can use and run and play. And so we hope to really kind of encourage that further, and I'm sure other people will as well, so that, you know, one of the problems when, when you go from, a, from like an uh, unformatted sort of a format like a PDF is where you're, you know, you've got some basic formatting but it's not tightly kind of controlled to a, uh, a fully digital environment where you're expecting certain things to fit in certain boxes – uh, is that you always have a little bit of chance of error and things not fitting in. Hmm. But if you can actually make that digital creation be that the source, and then it spits out the PDF, then suddenly you've reversed that, you've flipped it on in, and you've, you've done all the validation of everything on the way in as you created it, and then the, the quality goes up, the consistency goes up. And so that's what we're hoping to do eventually is to make it so that you could build the module in PDF form and then hit a button to then print out a P- or I mean in fancy grounds format, and then hit a button and have it format it for you in a nice, consistent layout and put all the stat blocks in the right format so that you don't have to do that layout editing sort of stage. Yeah, hmm. yeah
3: that
1: makes sense.
3: Uh, Rob, what about you? It's interesting what you just talked about there, Doug, about um, like the vision of having you know, stuff created in Fantasy Grounds and then sort of going to like a PDF-type format from there. One thing that, I, that is kind of like our vision is... That, and I, I think the new third ed, the new 5e SRD really makes this even more possible. I guess, let me start back. I'm going to push stack for a second. <laughs> um, when 3rd edition launched and there was the SRD and such, it was the Wild Wild West. There was just a flood of mm. products out there, many of which were really good, and a lot of which were complete and total... Um, Oh,
4: good. Yeah. Thank oh,
3: you. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for saving me from my usual gap. <laughs> uh, so the the whole industry as a, as a result of that has basically gotten smart, which is really good. And also there's there, so there's going to be a lot more, and I guess technology in general is, God, how many years more? It's mm, been yeah. <clears throat> yeah, well, 15, 16, 16 years, years now. Yeah. So... There's also a great way for the community to disseminate information for themselves. You can't you're not just going to your retailer and buying something where you only see the cover and you go, oh, this is great content. No, you guys can communicate with each other, review things, and say, mm-hmm. stay away from that. This is good. This is great. You know, go check this product out. That is something that now is going to make a huge difference with getting rid of a lot of the crufty stuff and having just Quality products coming through, whether it's through the DMs Guild, through the Fantasy Crown stuff, with their initiative, with everybody, all of us, with what we're with what we're respectively doing. That is going to make a huge difference moving forward, and that's actually separate from just what the new 5e SRD does. One thing the 5E SRD now does is it eliminates some of the confusion that existed back um, in the third edition launch. Because in the third edition launch, there was the D20 system license, there was the SRD. It basically created all, uh, all these different little little things, and nobody really understood them. Mm-hmm. Um, because most of us are gamers first, we don't have mm. a lawyer that's going to go back and review everything. I mean, those of us with businesses, you know, need to do that. But for the general community, they didn't do that, and it ended up with a lot of confusion, a lot of problems. That now, by keeping just one simple SRD, and by opening up the DM's Guild, they're now it, it's it's going to simplify things greatly, I think, uh, moving forward. Also, Wizards is taking a very so what i 'm looking for here um, a very open arms type of approach to the community whereas with when third edition launched, it was a total experiment for them. It went huge, and then with fourth edition, uh, as was mentioned just here it 's like they tried to shove the genie back in the bottle, mm. and that didn 't go so well and it, it hurt them and they realized that come fifth edition so now they 're embracing the full community to get and and uh, what's it called? I'm sorry, I'm tired. Um, there's there's a term for it where you can really um, uh, network externality. That's the term I'm looking for, where you're basically able to leverage that entire, um, entire network of all the community out there and have it cross fertilizing itself. And like with uh, through all these different um, vehicles that we're all coming out with there's going to be ways to, um, mm. to introduce new settings <laughs> that are going to gain traction. So it's not just the wizard's properties th- that are tried and true, like the Ravenloft and Forgotten Realms and such. There's going to be new properties. Um, Shadows of Esther and just won some, uh, a bunch of awards last night at the Ennies and mm. such, which is a beautiful setting. And there's going to be many more like that that come up that are original works and that have an equal place in the whole ecosystem. So that, I think, is going to be one of the greatest things moving forward with the new 5ESRD. Coming back to what I first started to talk about, the oh, there's a... Actually, I'm going to punt on that, and actually, <laughs> let me get my thoughts better clear in my head on that, and so circle back, and I'll even throw that into another question maybe later when I when I've got a better handle on what I want to say there. Sounds good.
0: Sounds good. Tobias, what do you think? How are how are things uh, changing?
5: You know, well, obviously we've covered a lot already. Mm-hmm. Uh, the <laughs> you know for for us we're another virtual tabletop. We uh, <coughs> we are community driven because it's the community that needs this stuff, right? So. The, the OGL and the SRD are pivotal to that, as we're saying here, with settings, with content. What's what's really nice is this capability for it to be shared, to be official. Uh, there's there's always been the unspoken, well, if it's in the forums, then you can get it. And we're, we don't ask and nobody's saying anything. This was how some of the 4E stuff would be propagated, how a lot of the 3.5 on the edge stuff would be propagated between users, both with yours and with ours, and uh, and so it's it. this is great, because with the OGL, they actually have an opportunity to go through DMs Guild, and to produce, the community can produce this content, share the content, whether it's through one of our VTTs, whether it's just through source books, whether, however, um, you know, we do a lot of travel uh, for, obviously for gaming, and uh, end up in a lot of interesting places talking to lots of community people who almost every person I end up talking to has at least at some point tried their hand at making a custom version or modifying a system Mm -hmm. so that way not just simply house rules but a a true refit to allow for uh, their favorite favorite novel to be represented in the game system that they use for their favorite... um, their favorite concepts from this TV show and that TV show and this movie and this allows for some of that creativity, inspired creativity to actually be pushed through as long as they're obviously not clearly going straight out and taking this content and publishing it. Um, for them to take these concepts, roll them, and create uh, experiences that are, are much broader. Uh, this is where, uh, for us personally, where does this affect us? Um, you know, we've actually used this concept of the OGL and and the Hint that this might be coming to uh, to change how we approached rules and to create a system that allows for mixing and matching and just complete. The idea is that I may go to DM's guild and find out that somebody's got a um, a uh, space derivative. I'm trying not to use specifics, but we'll say like a space western that was canceled prematurely kind of thing that, uh, that is also mixed in with uh, some high fantasy thing and, uh, you know, with energy weapons that are blade-like. And, um, you know, and finding these things blended, it, you know, having a system that allows us to mix and match all of this stuff is where we're, we're tying heavily into the OGL and enabling the capability to pull in myriad rules and, and update accordingly to support, well, the community mm-hmm. and allow the community to then subsequently support us. Sure. So. yeah,
0: yeah, that makes perfect sense. Uh, so, Ben, let's talk a little bit. Uh, you know, you have sound. Uh, you have SirenScape, right? Which is an audio library. Which I don't think a lot of people necessarily think of. Like, oh, well, that's directly related to the OGL or the SRD, but. You've worked directly with
4: Paizo. It affects us, yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah it definitely um,
0: does. So what, how do you think it's shaping
4: us? Uh, so, I mean, the, the main effect, probably the most important effect is that we can't, um, and I have some stuff to say about this is exciting, but I can't call magic missile a magic missile. I have to call it a force missile. <laughs> and that's, that's really clear, mm-hmm. but then there's lots and lots of other terms that are not so clear in the past, and certainly the release of a clearer, consistent document that's maintained is going to make that much, much easier for us. Yeah. Um, so when we hit that button and you want to get that sound you know you can, you can actually, we actually know what to call it in the app <laughs> but can I I can talk yeah oh yeah please so in the Dice Stormers my YouTube channel I play the role of the person who doesn't like D&D mm-hmm. um, that just happens to be because I'm a massive Pathfinder fan so, would everyone mind if I, was, if I was the devil's advocate here? Absolutely. And can I preface this with, I don't necessarily think the things I'm going to say, but, but it's good for discussion, and I think it's more interesting if we have the discussion. Right. Okay. Um, fifth edition, one of the main features from me having played it, is that it's a very cut-down system compared to 3.5, which bloated incredibly. Had lots of uh, different systems for different rules. So, fifth edition is ideal for introducing new players... It's ideal for picking up and playing more quickly. It flows faster. That's all the features, right? Um, If if we have an SID and we let other people introduce new systems and new rules and guns and and all these things, isn't it just going to bloat horribly and uncontrollably like 3.5 did? So Pathfinder has taken the tactic of really being the publisher of all the rules, basically, and they've tried to control their power creep by being the ones, not not necessarily always successfully, but <laughs> by being the ones to have actually released all the content pretty much and, and everyone else is sort of just releasing adventures. So well, just for discussion's point, yeah, are, uh, what, does five, what does 5 become? Is it just going to become 3.5 again? And then what's the point of 5 if it's just 3.5 because it was 5 and everyone will just add in all the 3.5 rules? And one more thing, <laughs> um, for me that's the real disadvantage of 5 at the moment is that I, I find it very difficult to reflect... Mechanically, my character concept so I want to be someone who's able to leap on chandeliers and do a backflip and land on people's shoulders but I have no mechanism to actually be any awesomer at doing that when it actually comes to the dice roll so I would totally I would totally be adding rules to five, point, uh, to 5 so I can do that but then do I maybe I should just play 3.5 instead so there's some stuff I have not had rude or <laughs> no, no. Yeah, no. This is the kind of thing that's
0: right. here.
1: So,
4: um, <laughs> and yeah, Matt, I think you probably
0: have
1: uh, one thing I want to touch base on uh, to clarify that the OGL that publishers like uh, Onyx Path are doing. Like, pick up a little. Yeah. Uh, one of the things I want to touch base on uh, the OGL for 5e that publishers like Onyx Path are bringing uh, Scarlands back as a fifth edition game, and Kobold um, uh, Press is with Southlands. Uh, converting to uh, is a completely separate license from the DM's Guild. There are completely separate rules. Uh, DM's Guild creators do not use the OGL; they can use the entire rule set from Fifth Edition, whereas not everything is in the SRD for the OGL. Um, DM's Guild creators can also create official Forgotten Realms and Ravenloft and future settings, whereas no OGL publisher can. Uh, so. I just want to make sure people are clear on mm. that DMs Guild creators do are not following or, or restricted by what's in the OGL.
3: I yeah. so think like a clear separator there is their setting is distinct from mechanics. It's also rules,
1: because DMs okay. Guild creators can use every single rule and every single class and every single feature in the 5th edition rule set, whereas OGL creators cannot. That gets into an interesting gray area because
3: technically if we get into putting the lawyer hat on, I'm not a lawyer, but hmm. we've talked with one a lot of times over hmm. the years. Oh yeah. <laughs> mechanics cannot be copyrighted. Hmm. So um if somebody wanted to use the rules from a five E book that's hmm. not officially in the SRD, if it's rules mechanics They can, as far as my understanding, so disclaimer, not as a lawyer, um, but my understanding is that they can freely use that because mechanical stuff cannot be copywritten. Um, um, Whereas, like, the setting, it's all, like, original creation stuff. Like, for example, that's why, like, with the Magic Missile, they wanted you to use a specific name sort of thing. You Mm -hmm. can't use, like... Yeah. Rary's mnemonic enhancer yeah. can't Modern be called games, Rary's yeah. mnemonic. Yeah, mm-hmm. Mordenkind's sword can't be called Mordenkind's sword. But you can have a no, a generic term
5: for the mm-hmm. same concept.
1: Sure. I, I guess my larger point is that there are certain elements of the core <coughs> fifth edition material that are not in the SRD Yes. That DM skilled creators can use. That's right. that example Ben was getting at was more mechanical than yeah. setting
3: related. And really. that's why I wanted to sure. draw that distinction. Is that with Ben? Ben's worried about from the mechanics side of yeah, stuff, yeah. Um, and and which is distinct from setting issues. Mm-hmm. Um, so just to frame the rest of the conversation here, mm-hmm. if we focus on the mechanics of uh, one aspect of it, um, there's one advantage of Five E that. Um, there's going to be, like, a wealth of different people producing stuff, whereas with the Paizo's model, there's still also yeah. been... Yeah, yeah. There's multiple options for Psionics, because they, they waited a long time before they did so yeah, there yeah, were some yeah, great yeah. alternatives <laughs> for, for uh, third-party publishing stuff. We're going to see the same thing with 5e. And the issue, though, becomes with mechanics, um, because Pathfinder is such a complex game to begin mm. with, they needed to come out with the beginner box. That's right. As an intro. Five E starts simple and then lets you build on stuff. Now, one major difference has become Wizards' business plan with Five E versus Pathfinder in that Wizards has changed. Pathfinder is using the traditional Wizards three, uh, three and three point five business model of new major book every few months, lots of uh, lots of additional supplemental stuff every month. Um, whereas Wizards has taken a much more Um, slow-as-she-goes type of approach. They're being very, very limited with what they're rolling out. Now, there's pros and cons to both those approaches, Mm -hmm. obviously. Uh, But I think Wizards' approach is actually more reliant upon the community Mm -hmm. to fill that stuff, at which point you're going to get more of a Wild West situation as opposed to having this is canon, until Wizards at some point down the line introduces... Mechanics for something like when they introduced Curse of Strahd, okay. Now they've introduced some yeah, new rules true. components that other people were homebrewing until mm-hmm. that point. Mm-hmm. Um, so now there's the official stuff, but that doesn't necessarily invalidate anybody else's cool ideas to solve the problem that have already come out.
4: So or it means that it every release, <clears throat> yeah, but future. so every release they do will we'll, what then delete a whole lot of the stuff? I mean, that people have made. I mean,
3: no, that's weird. it'll prevent it'll basically introduce a a, a this is official I mean the same yeah, thing yeah. even exists with Pathfinder yeah, since yeah. you brought them up because yeah, yeah. there is the, the you know all of the um, all the stuff with psionics there was a lo- it took a long time until they actually came out with the book that introduced yeah. a mechanical approach for that um, <laughs> and it, that doesn't make it better or worse it just, no, it's right. different and now there's the canon and then there's another great option or many great options which is basically. interesting because oh, sorry you go. Oh, yeah, I was just to say well with with um since
5: second ed with players options which Mm. some of you may remember the giant pool of black books (laughs) 3.5 was the best version of players options we ever got because it was constantly Mm. having development constantly having optional ways that you could handle things Mm. and that was definitely because of the OGL Wild West Mm. absolutely but also a wide range of options available to the community meant that you could build the system that you wanted to right. right, and so Uh, This is where you guys come in heavily, in my opinion, because you're going to have a one-stop resource where you can look at all the available resources, all the different things, and go through and pick and choose which of these I'm really interested in. Mm. Um, Plus, because EPUB, there's always usually a preview. There's a way for you to get Mm. a little bit of the content up front to see if this is what I want and then dive into it and build out the system. the toolbox model? So
1: The discussion forums on each product page are mm-hmm. yeah. um, an amazing element of community building that we actually didn't plan on. It just sort of yeah. happened organically um, with people trading ideas, and suddenly DMs Guild creators are um, making revisions in errata live during that discussion uh, uh, uploading uh, new uh, files, <laughs> which automatically populate out to everybody that's purchased that PDF um, and adding new features or, hey, oh, yeah, you didn't you didn't a- include a feat that does X. Well, boom, here it is. Mm-hmm. And uh, with digital publishing, you can do that fairly quickly. Mm-hmm. Struggling that word, I'm definitely not adopting that. <laughs>
4: okay. I'm struggling to stay as the um, devil's advocate because that's all, all making more sense to me. Um... How the heck does? Because do, isn't the whole problem of of lots of content the fact that things plug in and you end up with yeah being able to shoot a peasant at, at the speed of light at the end
1: of a row of you know hundred other peasants or something? And
4: that's I not mean, the right. Yeah, Pathfinder
1: has that same thing because there there are yeah hundreds of publishers creating Pathfinder content. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But not lots of rules. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, but
4: then the problem is, then you say, oh, well, I'll do core, I'll do core, or I'll use, you know, some other things. Whereas, all, it sounds like almost every rule in 5e w- will be non-core. So then the core is going to be so tiny that you either sort of play this, this game that has almost no features, or, I or think you play sort of, yeah, well, everything. I
5: think we have to separate again really the OGL to from the core. Yeah, yeah. Right? Right. So, the OGL from the license core, yeah, yeah. and OGL it is a small kernel that you work yeah. from. Uh, when you have the full license available to you, it's a much larger set of rules. And as new rules are released, those rules get added in as official. But again, by keeping them as options, if if you've been playing for the you know again as you called out, uh, Wizards is on a very slow release schedule. Yeah. Intentionally, it's uh, I think uh, anywhere from six to eight months between books, um, and part of that is to allow for adoption. And to allow for um, for the community to respond and start building out additional content, which helps guide where they want to go next, further down the road. Hmm. And you know, this is this is a huge shift for them, but it's one that is proving to be very beneficial, both from giving us better content as D D players, and from uh, a investment of resources for building out new content. They're not wasting a lot of time building out complete Vikings when only a handful of people want that historical document right now, right? right. Um, which I have. But anyway, uh, this is
1: also the first time ever uh, that the, adventur- the Adventurers League adventures are now available to everyone, right. not mm-hmm. just par- participating stores. The stores are still a primary part of that, with, especially with Baldwin Games, awesome stuff that's coming out. Um, but now the Adventurers League adventures are available on DM's Guild and Drive Through RPG, and you can play them at home. You can play them at conventions, um, and that is directly tying to each major release. Mm-hmm. Those are it's a series yeah. of adventures, um, and those have never been available for everyone to just per- yeah. buy and before. Very quickly on that, I just I, sorry, really, we got to get to question yeah.
5: two. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the uh, something that I want to call out about the. The Adventurers Guild stuff is, you know, as I've been looking at these things, one of the beautiful things about these, if you haven't looked at them, is that they are excellent examples of how to build a loose adventure that's fun to play, quick to put together, and quick to run a group through. Um, what they are, they add to the accessibility of 5e, but they also add to the uh, the accessibility of the concept of GMing, and so they outline very easily mm-hmm. and loosely, this is your stuff going on, and here's a couple of very simple hand-drawn maps that we scanned in and put into the adventure. Some are much more complex with beautiful art and whatnot, but a lot of them are just straight-up hand-drawn uh, by these other people who do the beautiful art as well, uh, maps that are... And it's, it's an elegant solution that, if you haven't looked at it, I highly suggest you do. Well, and some of the DMs Guild has map replacements for those things, so mm-hmm. like... If
2: you don't want the like hand drawn version of the maps someone can yeah. build a a really nice, detailed, yeah. using like campaign cartographer or, or mm-hmm. Photoshop mm-hmm. or whatever. Oil paints. Yeah, they, they <laughs> get, yeah, they <laughs> get a lot of that. your enemies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And we've seen that a lot. We've seen that even for the official stuff. The uh, the like for instance, the Curse of Stride yeah, yeah, yeah. has got these beautiful maps. Some of which are isometric. Yeah. Some people mm-hmm. want to play on a top-down style thing, and so people have gone out and created that. You know, created their own map. So mm-hmm. the ability for people to create things that, that enhance existing products is huge. The the side adventures that people can do is say, oh, well, there's this period here where you you can go off and do these other adventures, but here's a whole other set of side adventures you
1: can Mm -hmm. run your group through Mm -hmm. that'll make your version of that game when you run it different. Yeah, we had one of the first series of uh, adventures was a guy created bonus content for The Rise of Tiamat, so these side quests and stuff that happens between the major arcs in the book, Uh, so that book suddenly became a much larger product for someone that was running that adventure. Yeah. And, and, and this isn't going to be, unfortunately, devil's advocate for
4: the... Because the biggest difference... I think the biggest difference between the bloat before and the, and the situation now is the ability for the community to dynamically and actively review stuff. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And so stuff that is really bad and doesn't fit and is pointed out as combining in some stupid way will sink right. to the bottom, hopefully. Yep. Yeah. And that's the really big difference. Yeah. Someone will tell you. That's right, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, so, you rely on that.
0: <laughs> so... Uh, Now that the SRD and OGL have been out for a while and everybody's getting them loaded into their digital products, you know, we've got great character builders, we've got great sound libraries, we've got a bunch of great PDFs from the DMs Guild, the virtual tables are loading everything up. Um, Where are some areas that digital tools have not yet gone that you think could enhance? Uh, our games like where where, what's next you know what I mean like we've got the tables to play on we've got the character builder we have the you know we can use them at the table we can use them far away it's great mm-hmm. so what's next
4: and Ben why don't you start well for us it's community content so our creatives went live this show mm-hmm. so actually um, we have a license with Paizo to produce wonderful stuff for Galarian but the community is going to take over the work for us to make content for other adventures and that's already happening, and none of it's gone live yet, but that's amazing. So people are taking the, the, the D&D adventures and just producing in the same way that we produced uh, step-through sort of adventures with, so you can just push a button after button for encounter and encounter and encounter different locations, and that's incredible. And that's a huge difference, the fact that there's web capability, cloud upload, download, synchronization and all that um, is really, really exciting. And so the engaged community will be creating huge chunks of um, content and reviewing as well which is really cool. That's awesome.
5: Mm-hmm. So for us it's uh, it's our uh, we've we've started building out our 5E rules engine and uh, as the OGL was coming live and realizing sort of where this was going we took that and took it spanned it on its head and have instead been putting all our time and energy into building a rules engine which is uh, everything. So if you want to have a GURPS meets mm-hmm. uh, Vampire meets 5E then you load up those rule sets and checkbox your way through for the ones you want to handle your character and that's mm-hmm. your character um, and so this allows for that mix and match so you can have your 5E character that can hang from chandeliers yeah, and yeah, swing yeah, yeah. on a rope and then uh, swing pointy things with panache at the end mm-hmm. right? so um, that for us is where we're headed that's the major direction for us is in figuring out how to allow for the community desire to have Uh, have actual control over system specs, the mechanics, as well as the content to uh, shape the way that rule
3: systems look in their games. Sure. Yeah, that would be cool. What
5: do you think, Rob?
3: One of the main things we're trying to do with Realmworks right now is there's all these great pieces that uh, individual tools, like with hair lab, great character creation. There's virtual tabletops that are great for that that purpose. But there has not been a tool yet that really lets somebody running a campaign hook it all together and track your world. I mean, people use a whole smattering of different tools to, and if they've got these great PDFs, well, how many of you, uh, let me see a show of hands real quick. How many of you actually... Take a PDF and run it verbatim versus how many of you add your own flair. You tweak a few things and then you run into the situation where, with that PDF, how do you track your changes and how do you weave them into that actual original content? It's a very, you're using post it notes or we, there's lots of weird, um, everybody's got their own style that they've come up with, but it is basically some sort of hodgepodge to hook it all together. So I think the next evolutionary step for us is weaving all these pieces together and having sort of one um, command and control center, if you will, that can tie into these different uh, pieces and bring all these tools together into a unified... And not that one tool needs to do it all. No way in heck. It's really a matter of um, having, you know... With, there's overlap between, for example, RealmWorks has, has the maps in it and such. But you want to run an encounter, you go to the virtual tabletop, um, and that's not an area we want not even think about. You want to integrate all these great sounds where you can basically, you've got the encounter going, and you push the button, and that then fires off to the sirenscape stuff. And, but you need a place, think of it as like the conductor of the symphony that you're trying to create as a GM. And that's where I see being like the next, the next um, step in the future that we need to get to. And RomeWorks is one attempt at doing that. That's coming along pretty well, I think. Um, the other thing that I think is really important that we have not done yet as an industry, but we're making some strides towards, is making stuff easier for GMs to turn around and deliver to the players. Mm. If you think about the way, you know, like the old 32-page modules, um, you know, Ravenloft is an example of something that was a wonderful piece of work way back when i6 came out. That was, what, 79, something like that? Mm -hmm. And I remember tearing that apart. But I had to put so much time and effort into turning that into something I could play. Things have gotten a lot better. But there's still, for all you guys out there that want to customize things, how do you weave your changes in with the great starting point that you've now bought? And then with just like a PDF, how do you turn that into what you deliver to the players? You still have a lot of work on you to do that. So the next evolutionary steps, digital, digital tools-wise, I see, are being able to have content that's ready for you to, A, massage to your heart's content... And have it be yours, so you can uh, have de- can deliver it, and secondly, be able to have it so that there's a lot less work for you to have it ready to then deliver to your players.
2: Uh, so, I agree with you know a large part of that with integration of the tools. Like we've been doing some, yeah. some work with Sirenscape. One of our community members wrote an extension that allows. You to link the sounds up to fancy grounds. You kick off and it'll fire off a Sirenscape sound mm-hmm. because he built an
4: API that we could call to, and it interacts. I'll just so, say, so yeah, what's yeah. really cool is, and what we're talking about is, so you can trigger Sirenscape from within these apps. Yeah. And on two of these cases, the companies who are awesome. Did the integration, mm-hmm. so you can click on an, on an object in there. And in the third example, one of the users created the exactly. plugin, yeah. and that's yeah. incredible. And, and that's, that's a, futuristic. Yeah. When you make when you make your API open, then you can have the contribution just like
2: with the DMs Guild, How the people are doing the, the content of their adventures, you can also have code be created by the community in the same way, and yeah. you end up with these really interesting, exciting kind of things. Mm. Similarly. You know, we have things where you can import in stuff from Hero Lab and from Gen, from the character builder, so that you can rely upon the favorite tools that you want to use and combine <coughs> them and, and link them all together. Mm-hmm. The one thing I'll say that we've done, uh, we, we agree that you should be able to load up, like, Curse of Strahd and then you want to change out a few things and make it custom to your... To your players, for instance, so that if you want to say, "Well, at this point in time, Strahd should know all my players. He's 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 ran across them several times." So now you've modified that story. Mm-hmm. Um, we we've actually supported that with advancing grounds for quite a while because you can unlock uh, any of the story elements and then you can modify them and then relock it back and saves it within that campaign. And that might be different for your Sunday group that you're running through mm-hmm. from when your Wednesday group. So you can customize each one individually, switch out monsters and that sort of stuff. So that's something that I agree that is very important is something that, that we've kind of adopted for a while where we see uh, where we'd like to take the stuff further is to continue doing that integration between all of our other tools um, to also move more into uh, you know a broader adoption to like more of a video game sort of interface in a lot of mm-hmm. things. Uh, so right now the medium is very two-dimensional and we throw two-dimensional images up on screens and we do that kind of thing we share things around. So we've actually brought on board uh, someone who had started their own virtual tabletop that was a 3D one, and so uh, they've got a lot of um, industry experience in the video game industry doing like Call of Duty and Heroes of Might Magic, Spider-Man, doing Xbox and PlayStation work, that sort of stuff. And so uh, he has some interfaces that he's already built that have full 3D, so you're exploring a 3D mm-hmm. tavern, you've got lighting, you're going up and downstairs. It's It plays out more like a video game because that's going to bring in... More people who... More people play the computer RPGs than, than play the tabletop. So if we can bring those people into this mixed medium and really give them the sort of stuff that they like, you don't have to do it across the board. Like, I could almost see, like... When I play around the table, I roll, I roll out my Dwarven Forge stuff... <coughs> For big, big, exciting, like epic finales and that sort, I don't do it for every single thing because it takes too much time. So I see people still using the 2D medium for the majority of the stuff, but maybe every once in a while, like kicking it up an, an extra notch for the final thing. All right, this is the. This is something that you can go full 3D and you can switch it, just like how you go with isometric. You know, that isometric view is a cool little, like, new little twist to something. So you can do it isometric or you can go full-blown 3D and, and then really start using the power of technology to really enhance your game further and link it with sound effects and link it with all the other sort
1: of stuff so that it... That's really cool. Um, when we first launched DM's Guild, uh, Wizards of the Coast and Drive over G got together and created a couple of templates. Uh, because not everybody that writes D&D Adventures Mm. has design experience. Mm -hmm. So we actually (laughs) created official templates for that, and that wasn't enough for the community. So they went out and made more. Mm
2: -hmm. And they're teaching
1: each other how to make things and how to include Mm -hmm. art and how to... And then they introduced, uh, we didn't even think of it, we wish we should have, would have, but uh, they introduced uh, form-fillable and editable PDFs. Mm-hmm. So if you want to make customizations and, and slot in an extra monster or an extra encounter, uh, the community went out and created those resources. And now mm-hmm. some of the adventures that are being uploaded DM's are, are editable, live. Once you've downloaded that. So you, and you can take handouts out of it and email okay. just that piece to your players. That's great. Yeah. And a couple of the maps are you can select layers. Mm-hmm. So you have one yeah. with all of the secret doors and everything, or but you yeah. just hand your players the one that's got faded parts and mm-hmm. you don't know what's coming next right. and the GM can upload that into a virtual tabletop and they've got everything. They can just click which yeah. layer unlocks. So, I mean, it's awesome because it sounds
0: like the community and also integration amongst yourselves is kind of where everybody's hoping to see the future go, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which for me as a consumer of these fine products uh, is something that I really like to hear. Um, and as somebody who plays a lot of D&D, like that's, that's something that I want. Um Along those lines, there are other things uh, that consumers uh, would desire. I think they'd love to see more partnerships. You know, we we'd love to see Watsy get moving. You know, like they have with Fantasy Rounds, like they have with One Bookshelf. It would be awesome to see things like that. Um, it would be awesome to see them offer things like some sort of digital form of the core rule books. We, yeah, you know, you still can't get. Um, so, like. What is the way? How can we as consumers, and what can we do to support all of you? And what do you think uh, would need to happen for Watsi to sort of move forward on more
4: of that kind of thing? I think there is one thing we kind of, oh, there's a couple of things we missed. Obviously, virtual reality is. Something oh sure. Oh to a certain extent, you know, one part of me says virtual reality. We're all going to be sitting around playing virtually. That What bollocks, anyway.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but you know, one
4: of, the, one of the biggest things we're lacking is a, is a format that, that is like a PDF that will actually load mm-hmm. faster than one, two, <laughs> half the picture. There it is. Right. And that's thoroughly um, uh, hot-linked and the rule will flash up as you hover over it and everything. That's just bizarre that we don't have that. Well, that's kind
3: of what we're working towards with RealmWorks, yeah. honestly. So yeah. it's like we're working towards that. It sounds like you guys, on, uh, with with the way the community's augmented stuff, things. You put in yeah. that There's there's some of that with DM scale too. It, it's the the on the tools front, it really is going to be a matter of streamlining and simplifying the process. Mm, that's right. And yeah, you know, I guess now's a perfect time to circle back to. Um, Earlier, I, I sort of tabled a comment uh, where you had mentioned, Doug, about having um, the ability to go from mm-hmm. uh, fantasy grounds out to PDF. It, it's do you is PDF the right delivery method? Yeah, because mm-hmm. PDF, you know, it is a delivery. It's a it's, delivery method, it's a yeah. Delivery yeah. method yes, exactly. it, but it's not a dynamic one. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's it's a ubiquitous one, which makes it great from that standpoint, but you very quickly start running into limitations with PDFs, and what ideally we need in the future is a more dynamic way. Mm. So, I mean, Matt, you talked about you can pull the handout out and email it to your players. You can pull a map out and email it to your players. But what if you only want to reveal a portion of that map to your players? Uh, What if, you know, do you really want to take the time to pull that handout out and then email it to your players, Mm. or would it be ideal to have a way to just... Tap a button on that mat on that handout and say, "Give it to my players." Oh, or even better, I want this to be given to these three players, but not these two because um, they didn't get that information. Mm-hmm. Um, that is like the um, that's like the holy grail in my mind for like the next major evolutionary step in digital tools, and and that's really some of the stuff we're striving to do within mm-hmm. Uh So. There's When you talked about going to PDF, is it better to actually put stuff into, into more of a, um, we call them snippets. So there's like um, a, a piece of information that you can reveal to the, uh, to the players. That becomes one individual snippet of information that can go out. And you really keep things piecemeal, so that I mean, in an ideal world, I also, as a GM, I want to be able to create a uh, this cool magic item. Well, or somebody wants to release through DM's Guild this cool magic item they created, and hmm. or even and, and then from there pull that into Fantasy Grounds, pull it into Hero Lab, what have you, so I can put it on my character and any uh, the effects are there. But I also want to track it. Um, and be able to change its ownership from one, um, you know, it, it starts out in this room where they're going to find it, and then from there I want to transfer ownership of it to this PC. Oh, but now I want it, to, um, that PC retires or whatever, or, hey, better thing, give it to this PC over here because you found some newer, new cooler magic item. Uh, that, that whole process requires a much more granular view of the information, and that, is, that was the, is the ideal, I think, longer term that we need to try to get to. And
4: what's interesting? There's things to say. <laughs>
3: this, is, this is not an attempt at
5: aggrandizing, uh, as we're going to try to avoid you know, this self-advertising type thing. But that's actually what we've done with our rules engines. So we have the full capability to find items. We've always had the ability for you to have objects in the world and you pick it up and it shows up in your inventory. Now when you pick it up, it will augment your character. It'll grant you spells if it's a wand and those spells come from a spell pool for your wand charges. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you're, you drop it on the ground or you give it to somebody else, it'll transfer those capabilities to that other character now. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, this is all, the whole idea of the the gear, gear is a D&D classic, right? Mm-hmm. You need gear because that's kind of the thing. Mm-hmm. right? You're, you've got your, magic sword, your ring, and your cloak, and you know your energy bow and now uh, we've got a little dungeon master and a unicorn um, the, uh, you know, your gear is important, and so having that actually define things about your character is what we were after with this as well, and so, but being able to
3: transfer was important,
5: you know, you don't just have it on your sheet, well I got rid of it, gave it to him and started entering it in
3: Um, And so the property carries with it. The ideal is to do it both at a micro and a macro level, though. Sorry, Ben. One last comment. Wouldn't you love to be able to buy an inn, a tavern, something like that, um, and be able to drop it into your world uh, or a dungeon Mm -hmm. here, a dungeon there, and then have it all woven together in one place instead
4: of these (coughs) little islands that now you
3: have to connect together? Mm
4: -hmm. So what what the revelation is, and which is relevant to here, is that actually at the Annie's last night, Almost every award was for a book mm-hmm. and that's like the Holy Grail of RPG publishing a book and a PDF is the most faithful. The whole point of a PDF is that you can't change it. that's what the for- that's why you deliver a PDF as a contract so they can't say you know just change it in a word or whatever. So the book is kind of this, this basic form and there was one award given to a software thing where sirenscape, which is a sound program was competing against a VTT which was com- competing against a character generator. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. like that's that's ridiculous Science should have been competing against tabletop audio which is and p- people should have been able to express which one's right. better um, and so yeah so maybe we need to like th- burn the books you know? <laughs> <laughs> Is that is that what we're talking about here and, and do do we love books do we yes. want to still buy books uh, should the books come in a double format so that it all particularizes out to everyone's tools it's an evolutionary um, process yeah something and I want to call awesome it not
1: going away no. yeah and it's mean, I still play yeah. with books at the table. We're rolling out... Uh, and we award design,
4: you know, the, the way it looks on the page. And we say, oh, oh yummy. Yeah. I want
5: to call out though that so, uh, being in code space, you know, the uh, PDF readers are atrocious, yeah, decent, or phenomenal. Yeah. And the phenomenal ones are far and few between. Um, Especially on a so, five-year-old device. Yeah. Well, so, <laughs> um, you know, you've been working with Paizo. I don't know if you've used the Playbook mm, yeah. software. Right? Yeah, so yeah, that does yeah, instant, yeah. almost immediate lookups that's even true. on this. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Right, and so that's pulling up PDFs. And that has layered, layered maps and things. Right, and yeah, right, yeah. right. And so, you know, that's key that there are better ways to view PDFs. There's contextual ways. There are ways to integrate it uh, that are not just straight <coughs> rips or, or imports And now building out from PDF using creators and trying to get that in there. This is where what you guys are talking about is ways to take what is your workflow as a GM and turn that into content that then is redistributable. Mm -hmm. Um, So you know we've worked with some of your people on ways to integrate like our maps into PDFs for Venture League and stuff like that as well. And the idea is that with all of us, we have tool sets that. So maybe you are a uh, engineering focused person who loves to game, and so this this method appeals to you, but maybe you're a script writer and writing out, uh, you know, writing out scenes and everything in, Long text is exactly the way you want to work. Mm-hmm. Hand the messy <laughs> players. This is yeah. you say this. And so, <laughs> this is where this is where we can all hang out on the same panel and not go at each other's throats yeah, because yeah. we're all building tools that allow you as individuals to access the media that ends up on his site. <laughs> <laughs> and and I totally no. agree. I, you know, I think that PDFs are
0: probably not the best format, mm. but. Mm. I, my My kind of point is that I would like to not have to bring fifty pounds of hardcover books yes, right. with oh, yeah, so totally. no ma- w- if it were a PDF right now, I would take that over mm-hmm. anything else and right now there's no way for me to get that you know i 'd like to see more digital partnerships, and how do we get that from Wizards <laughs> of the Coast and maybe Matt and Doug, <laughs> since you guys have those partnerships, mm-hmm. you might be able to
3: sort of answer that
2: yeah i mean I, I think i've talked with a number of the people here on the stage actually about. Some thoughts about that sort of thing, and, mm-hmm. and how mm-hmm. I've encouraged it as well, and about saying, yeah, this would be a good idea for you to do this or that or you know whatever. And so, um, you know, we've we've had lots of private conversations to try to push that forward. I've actually talked with Wizards, with our contacts at Wizards of the Coast, and I've and I've shared, you know, my high opinion of most of the people up here, you know, on the stage already. Most. Yeah. Well, I mean, I didn't have to for uh, you know drive through RPG because they were already there. You know, okay. so that's, that's nicely clear. <laughs> uh, so I mean, um, to me, you know, like roll Twenty just got a, a license as well for yeah. for this, and I and I like to think that we kind of helps kick down that door a little bit by saying, look, this is just we are just another outlet that you can use. We are very similar to a very large retail shop that's going to be like yeah. a game shop hobby shop whatever we're almost like a little small chain of the hobby shops that is catering to a market of people we each have uh, groups of followers who mm-hmm. we've developed over time because we've delivered products that that group of people like and so uh, mm-hmm. when they see that they can mm-hmm. get the hero lab version of something for D D, they're going to buy it through the hero lab thing and they may have already bought the, the physical book or they may have gotten the you know the PDF if the PDFs are available, but that doesn't mean that they won't also be like, yes, I can see the value of it have, of having it in that format. And most almost every one of our systems, uh, you know, you can create. You, if you have the printed book, you can sit down and you could enter all that stuff in, and you could you know put in your own maps and you could yeah. shrink and grow things and stuff, or you can have one that's already done for you yeah. and there are different markets there are when you're young you have more time than money so you, sit, you do all that <laughs> stuff yourself and when you're a professional or you have kids you don't have the time anymore you just yeah. want to play mm-hmm. but you have more discretionary money so that becomes a new market a new demographic that is hmm. looking for that sort of okay. thing mm-hmm. and we can, we can do a value add we, we make their product more approachable more usable uh, they can consume the product faster so uh, it makes perfect sense that they would want to partner with everybody up here yeah. uh, to provide that sort of content. And that's that's true for all the publishers. I mean, all the publishers out there, if if there's any publisher listening to the podcast, if they have not licensed their stuff to multiple tools and multiple systems, why not? Why should you not do it? I mean, uh, the one thing is you just want to make sure that whoever you've licensed it with is is... Someone that you can trust to protect your your product, to deliver it in a, in a consistent way, and to, to well rep, to represent it well, basically mm-hmm. the way that you would like. But as long as you've got that, then then knock yourself out and, yeah. Yeah, and do
6: it. Absolutely.
0: All yeah. right. Okay. Uh, well, we're coming up on about an hour here, so I think it's time we probably take some questions uh, from the audience. Who has some out there? I think right over here. Hey, uh, this uh, actually, I
6: think you were kind of getting to this. Uh, point a little bit um, so as a developer who's building like an independent tool like I'm I'm working on something for example like to publish monsters pretty easy mm-hmm. it's just that like I don't really want to do anything else it's a hobby I don't have a ton of uh, time to with it I think what's missing that from being able to like take content from one tool and it into another and, and use all that uh, it seems to be like an open data standard. Yeah, we talked about so this last year. <laughs> and Because um, like, you know, for me I would love to be able to make something that works for some virtual tabletop uh, system for people who do that, a campaign management system, Realmworks, whatever uh, but I'm not going to go out and, even if you have the APIs for it, which is good to hear that some do but not everyone does, Uh I'm not going to go out and make it in every one of those formats necessarily. Um, Like, I think those of you on the panel, as well as a couple others, are kind of like industry leaders in this. Like, is there an interest in developing like a community open data standard? (laughs) So So that so that we know that if I'm compatible with that, I'm compatible with
5: all of your Mm -hmm. stuff. There's a couple things here, right? Like, all of us have. So all of us have the same dream here. but I think we all have our independent visions along that dream, mm-hmm. which needs to come together. Um, you know, one way is we can go this direction to where, you know, Doug and I are moving towards the XML standard. And I'm not saying we are. I'm saying we could go towards the XML lab standard and say that that's the thing. Um, but quite frankly, taking what the current content is out there and the, the proliferation of these templates, just staying within the 5E space, the fact is that if you follow the template, it then worry. it's scrapable. Yes. Right, right. So if you follow the template, then I can tell everything that you're doing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so we've been working with a uh, with a HTML5 system for uh, character generation, monster building, stuff like that. And the whole point is that uh, that system then spits out mm-hmm. exactly the mm-hmm. the same format that you find in a stat block in the monster manual, or you find in the stat block in a official published or templated adventure, and that's readable as input.
6: Am I I then producing a PDF? You could. 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 It's consumable. I'm not saying, because, I mean, like, PDFs aren't great for data storage or or transfer. Like, are we saying that, like, I generate a PDF and then it gets scraped, Or is there a middle set that doesn't create a print-optimized document? There
2: are parsers, basically, that take any form of text, copy and paste it in, and if it's followed the, the format precisely, it's something that we can program towards to then pull that data out and put all the all the pieces in the right spots, and so I just completed a conversion of Cobalt Press's Tome of Beasts, which I would say uh, is is a made for print product. And this is where I was getting to about the PDF when you create it for print, and then you try to go back out from there, it's a little gets a little bit hinky sometimes, and that's because you don't realize that you used a colon after melee weapon attack colon plus four to hit instead of a period, because in print, it looks just as good, and the human eye will read that fine and be like, great. But as a developer, now you have to modify your parsing script to say, oh, look for this, 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 with either a colon or a period. And you end up having to come up with all these little abbreviations. Mm -hmm. Similarly, when 3.5, the same exact problems came. They would have stat blocks with, you know, like your strength, your dex, all that kind of stuff. Sometimes they would say, well, I'm a little tight on the space, so I'm just going to call it S, D, and C, (laughs) and I... But that's now a different thing. Or sometimes they would actually spell out strength, and, you know, like or capitalize all those sorts of things. It, it's standard if you stick to a standard, and if that standard is like there is a standard stat block, and there's a lot of tools from 3.5 that could suck in tool stuck in a, a stat hmm. block, and if it was in that right format, would say stick it in it. Yeah. I
4: have, I have a comment on that actually. Yeah.
6: We're also in turn the publishers are learning. My from my yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, the publishers are learning from you guys too, because yes. as BGTs and everything else like, what do you guys need from us? And that standard is slowly evolving from the people who actually produce the content and then give it over to get it changed. Okay. So,
5: uh, just what we're actually doing on our end is uh, is slightly different than that, right? So, what we're doing is um, we're looking at the the build as a thing that you do to craft your creature, right? And that um, we're leveraging JSON. And uh, standardized formats for REST and things like this that are that are already there for doing uh, data, you know, large data transfers in short amount of time. Mm-hmm. And so, what happens is that for that PDF, for that human-readable, consumable version, you so you enter your data through the form. It goes into the format that is a standard and is viewable in a printable PDF, right? So it's the the conversion is happening. Um, so you fill it in. And it's converted as part of the, I want to see it, or I want to print it, or I want to share it. Um, but at the same time, behind the scenes, you've got this data format, which is a standardized uh, JSON.
6: Do you have anything published of what that data format
5: is? That is part of the rule stuff okay. launching later this month. Okay. So. Are there other questions?
3: Right here.
6: So uh, a lot of times when we're looking at like, things like virtual tabletops or a lot of the products you guys provide, it's, a lot of times there are people doing, like, online play. They're, they're, they're seeing each other in a webcam and that kind of stuff. And I think that works great. I think a lot of things are optimized for that. But I, I still, like, when I go play at a table with other people, the still shows up with their pencil and sheet of paper. How do you see what you guys are doing affect that form of play? And, mm-hmm. you know, where is that going to go?
1: Well, one of the things we are adding to DM's Guild is print-on-demand. So d creators will be able to print, sell print versions of their books huh. for gamers that still play at the table and love books. Because uh, um, the, this hobby was founded with books, and as awesome as uh, Virtual Tabletop is, I want all of our stuff to succeed on all levels and be accessible no matter how you play D&D. So uh, that's one of the
5: things we're at. Uh, so uh, we're actually running events in the JW on uh, touchscreens with our VTT, where we've got a player view and a GM view, right? So they're connecting to each other locally. Um, and we're using character sheets. People walk up, they want to use the dice. That's not really a problem. It's, it's a tool for visualization. And, yeah, we can automate all that. We can automate all the rules. We can automate spell effects. You know, I'm not going to give you the litany. We can do a lot in the digital space. But the fact is that if you want to play a analog game with a digital tool as a tool, that's absolutely doable. The, this is true with Fantasy Grounds, this is true with Realmworks, this is true with Sirenscape although that's still theater of the mind plus audio um, <laughs> <laughs> The the fact is that um, you know, like my gaming group, my personal gaming group, um, would kill me if I told them to put their dice away and they're also my best test group for uh, for trying against the how do we blend all this stuff uh, how do we have the digital world not interrupt the analog experience and our printed yeah. books and that, our dice? That hybrid approach is growing in popularity.
2: Yeah. And, and yeah. what you're seeing is, is people are, TVs are cheap now, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, so, and projectors are, are cheaper as well, but TVs mm-hmm. especially are very cheap. You could buy a 40-inch TV for like next to nothing anymore. And uh, How many of you have a TV in your living room? But like people buy extra TVs, or they buy a new one, and then the one from the living room becomes yeah. the secondary one that they say, "Oh, I can use that for gaming now because mm-hmm. it's not as nice as the one that we have in the main room." You know, so uh, people can hook their laptop up to that; it becomes a nice second display. Mm-hmm. And so, what we see people using with, like, with Fancy Grounds, is they will run the DM view, have it on their screen here, which has all of the stuff that they need to, you know, the things that they haven't revealed to the players, all the NPC stats, all that sort of stuff. And then they have, uh, on the DM screen, then the TV or the the connected display becomes the player view. Okay. And you're not even, you don't even have to be connected to the internet to do that. You just basically, you have it on your laptop, you just run it like that. And then when people want to roll dice, we just added a new feature that we have in our, our test channel it's about to roll out where it has a manual dice entry. So you get all the automation. Normally, if uh, you wanted all the really fancy automation, you had to use our tool to do that automation to where it would say, oh, I'm doing... Uh, 2d6 slashing, uh, 2d6 plus four slashing, plus an extra 2d6 fire, plus one d6 lightning or whatever, and then it would drop oh, on something nice. and it would say, <laughs> and, you, know, it's, you know, you got a nice sword and some other stuff or whatever. So that you drop that on the target and it would say, oh well, I know that this damage, the creature you had slashing resistance, but all the fire and the other stuff went through or whatever. So you still need to know which parts of of the total damage it was. So now we have a thing where it, you roll it. If you have a manual dice entry option turned on, it'll prompt you. Oh, just put in your dice values, and then we'll uh, we'll still manage the types of damage, and we'll still do th- a lot of the automation. But
5: you can let your players just roll their dice. Um, it just makes it a little bit easier. Yeah, for we've, that's exactly the way we've handled it. Except rather than prompt, what happens is that the GM receives a pop-up that this is your decision, yeah. and you make your decision about whether or not this is a valid thing. This gives the GM that always the chance to budge. Uh, Or if you've got manual entry coming in, you just click on the die icon, which has their role in it, and enter in the right number, uh, which is what they're reporting to you or pointing their camera at or however you are handling that, depending on your trust levels. Um, And, yeah, same sort of thing, you know, multiple crazy stacking damages and constructs of Uh, you know cascading effects or that's why you go to a VTT is because you don't want to think about that you know you want to have that just happen and not interrupt your game flow which is also where 5e tries to streamline it so resistance is tap damage vulnerability double damage you know not is that 10 or is that 11 or Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah so we can handle the complex and the simple which is you know Anyway. Also, yeah. the other part that's huge is, is uh, I
2: don't know, i keep jumping in front of me. And so, so uh, you know, like a Next lot of, sit when room. you're playing a game in person, after what happens after every single combat? You you defeated this big group of monsters, then you sit down and you do the loop phase. And you have the one player that you're like, all right, you're the secretary, or that there's other terms that sometimes gets assigned to that person. But then they, they say, okay, well, I'll be the one that writes down everything. And they spend the next five ten minutes writing down okay I've got a sword 5 sword 5 long sword 1's that we got we got 2 more plus 2 leather so they can equip a whole army of you know minions later on <laughs> the and then they have some unidentified things and they spend time rolling and say oh did I identify that did I not identify that so there's the, the the loot phase basically that takes forever and then when when Bob is not there the next week and you're like don't we have an extra potion of like you know stone to flesh <laughs> or whatever that we had and they're like I think Bob ha-, you know and you don't really know And then you're selling stuff back in town and all that kind of stuff. So that's where the technology can really handle all of that. Let it be your record keeper. And then you get to focus on play and you're speeding up your gameplay. And you get right back into the combat right away. And then when they get back to town later on and they say, what was that one thing that we found? It was a longsword, but it's unidentified. And it was two sessions ago. And it was in the, we fought the ogre. And, yeah, he chopped someone, He chopped Ronnie in half with it, and then we took it, and, yeah. So then you want to look what it is, and then the DM has it still there, and then just says, oh, okay, well, you, you've now identified it, and he clicks the button, and you say, oh, it's a, it was a plus two Vorpal
4: longsword, or whatever, you know, something. So that's all amazing, and that's all rules. And then, so we're kind of blue-sky about, like, tabletop around the table gaming. So we project down onto the table, and I have white blocks to create terrain levels which is really, really cool. And I have my own minis. I'd like not to have to move the white blocks around. I'd love I'd love some <laughs> sort of table that just went... and, and you know, <laughs> Man, raised into the terrain does. level. That exists. It, exists. Yeah. it does. That's so, uh, cool. And, and then I, what I really, 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 really want is a 3D printer that can print a monster painted <laughs> paint yeah. in, like, you know, 60 seconds, two minutes. Well, and really, then really I'd be too. done. I have the music going, <laughs> the dynamic lighting, changing color. And... <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah. That's I really right. want to okay. respond to all that, but yeah. we should let them okay. ask. ask, ask <laughs>
0: Do we have any more questions?
3: I just want to say one thing. Go for it. I want to thank each and every one of you. you guys are doing amazing jobs putting together tools that DMs like myself. Uh, I'm just getting into the virtual tabletop, and I got Fantasy Grounds. Uh, I've been working with it with my own homebrew stuff, and, and just amazing work you guys are doing. And, and I, I, I speak for myself, but mm-hmm. I don't know, I'm sure everybody else. As well, you guys are doing great. And you see you all off here at the same time. is just, yeah, great. Mm-hmm. I, I appreciate all
4: the work. And it of. really is driven by you yeah. people. Like, yeah. Yeah. like when you when you get up in the morning and there's a as a tweet that just says, yeah. "Oh my God, I just discovered Sirens gave my players totally loved it. Thank you for what you've done." You're yeah. like, we're literally like, <laughs> "That's deal. Hey, exactly. let's, let's work. <laughs> let's, let's, I'm going to get into it and work." And when you get someone who says your product oh it's good but it really needs to do this and you're like okay right 11 people told me that last week we're going to add that this week <laughs> yeah. you know yeah. and like I said
6: before you know years ago uh, things were kind of like they were big companies and, you know and, and some, some failures of, if, if you will whatever uh, but it's
3: so hard now to find any some, anything to It's, it's just so great. You, you know. should find out what our internal lists it, are. Yeah, that's, that's right, so yeah. That's yeah. right. We've got wish lists. And, and <laughs> the, the thing is, many yeah. of those things on the wish list yeah. came from the other people yeah. sitting in this room. It's, hardly, it's like, absolutely. you know, if you could just do that. It's absolutely, good idea.
5: Your feedback drives everything. Absolutely, yes. completely. Yeah. The lack of social filters is important at Gen Con. Yes. Yes. Well, in our competition with each
2: other too. Yeah. So yeah. When I see the D twenty pro drops in <laughs> line of sight stuff, I'm like, like Yeah, we really gotta sh- like, we have to sh- it hasn't been an, an important thing for us, so we're gonna start adding that in. Similarly, Roll Twenty at first didn't think that they needed character sheets and everybody's like, Well fancy grounds has character sheets, I could do that there and then so they mm-hmm. eventually solved the need for that and they put that in. So we all look at each other's stuff mm-hmm. and it and it makes us all we have to compete to, to exist. In the
5: future, and so it keeps driving us forward to make better products overall. Yeah, we build on each other, and that's important. Yeah, Um, and you know, the fact that again, so you know, Doug and I meet up every year and we talk in between. This is a case where we understand that the community needs this stuff, we need the community, and understanding where we're going and how we're developing helps us all grow. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, thank you. (laughs) Uh,
0: Definitely. Well, does anybody else have any questions?
1: I want us a little off topic. Um, what do you guys think about uh, Wizards no longer coming here uh, for D D? Well, there's
5: a lot more
3: room in the hall. I you, you going to say, smell, you know, personally, I think it's um, I think it's really unfortunate for all the gamers um, because I mean, D D is a is is really how this whole industry started. So it's unfortunate they're not here, but at the end of the day, it becomes a business decision, and they've you know they've got one thing. I'm not trying to be an apologist for Wizards at all in this respect because I have you know I just when it when it comes it comes to to um, the D and D team is in a very uncomfortable position because they belong to Wizards of the Coast, which is owned by Hasbro. And so the overlords at Hasbro, if it doesn't produce X amount of money each year, I don't want to care about it. And then within Wizards of the Coast, there's Magic, and then there's D&D, which by comparison is the red-headed stepchild as far as the top-level execs that care about the bottom line that Hasbro cares about at the end of the day. So the D&D team is in a very uncomfortable position where they're needing, they've got a very, they've got a limited budget, and honestly, if you look at the numbers and such from the, um, uh, from like the SEC filings and that sort of stuff, the official reports that they need to do because Hasbro is a publicly traded company, um, the D and D tabletop revenue is a tiny drop in the bucket. If you look at the d and revenue from, like, yes. the licensed video games yes. and their board games and the, the overall brand, its Tabletop is, I mean, it's really, it's what got them started, but at the end of the day, it's, as far as is concerned, it's irrelevant. Yeah. So they're put in this, they've, they've got to make some tough decisions regarding budgets, resources, etc. and I'm sure that has it's colored insane. all of their decisions over the
5: past few years with 5e. So... I've done uh, I've done direct work with Hasbro because we our office is located just about 20 minutes north of the main office, and so going down there, you walk through this alley of micro booths, which is all the hot products, things coming out, you know, Nerf this, Transformers that, so on and so forth. D and D is never represented, and it's not because it's in Seattle; it's because it's not one of the off-the-shelf hot products at Toys R Us. Um, even though you can actually get some D and D stuff at Toys R Us, um, the uh, the fact is that um, for Hasbro, they're definitely looking at uh, Gen Con being, and more than that, just the, the space in general. I think they're looking for people like you, with, or like your company with drive through, and people like us actually, to be the representatives. Um, that's why the licensing is happening. Mm-hmm. That's why Doug's got a license now. Mm-hmm. That's why you guys are doing what you're doing. You know, we're, we're currently finalizing talks. Right, so we're going to be out here representing Wizards when we come out next year, mm-hmm. um, but they're also doing packs, right? Because Wizards can go local, save a bunch of money, and get that approved. Um, so we like for us, and this is pull the curtain back a little. Um, you know, uh, they weren't sure if they were coming. All right, so we've been talking to them. We're going to meet with them when we came out, and then they found out they weren't that none of their people were going to be here, and so. Uh, Our conversation now will happen at PAX because that's where they're going to be. And so. it should be mentioned that Jeremy
0: Crawford is here. Right? Yes. 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 yes, He's here, Yeah, but it's not the full so team. There's nobody the the on the end business end. side that is right. here. It's right.
3: a key thing. <clears throat> they, brought some, they brought some of the creative folks
1: mm-hmm. to meet but, with the fans. Yeah. Right. any. So, yeah. yeah. Related to that, I'm going to devil's advocate just a tiny bit here. Sure. D&D is Let's really well out. represented okay. here because they have a great partner in Baldwin Games running That's right. hundreds mm-hmm. and hundreds of events. Mm-hmm. Plus, they have partners like... Some of us. It's running more events in the exhibit hall. Um, I think it's got less to do with whether Hasbro's telling them not to be at Gen Con or not and how they feel Gen Con and fans interact with playing D&D. So they've got a ton of D&D events going on. They just happen to not be run by the D&D design team, which is not their strength. So they went out and they found a partner that is really good at running Tabletop events, and ran went with that. Yeah, we actually
5: reached out about running Adventure League content, and were directed Baldman for exactly that reason, because Baldman is effectively the representation here for Wizards, um, by through vicariously as Adventure League. Right. Um, So you know the representation may not be. We don't get our our gorgeous loath statues, and we don't get uh, the troll. You know, and. Well, I'll admit that Beholder can... I, that's not my favorite version of the Beholder, so it can... I don't mind. But, the, you know, many of the statues. Um, but they're, they're definitely here. Uh, you know, we're here. And that's... How many of you play D&D games already? Right? Yeah. D&D is here, yep. right. right? We're playing it. We're bringing it. And the, the company is supporting us, whether we've got a giant wizard's banner and a blocked-off section that makes it easy to walk through the card hall. You know, so yeah. so
4: uh, okay, uh, okay. I, I did promise to be a devil's advocate. So, just <laughs> how just how little could they produce and still plausibly maintain their licenses of their of their poker machine in Vegas, which I've seen, for instance. <laughs> I've seen that too. it's they've got a poker machine in Vegas. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. I mean, I, I, I don't know. Because you said before, like, they've got this deliberate tactic of pr- making sure they only release a book every six months, and, you know, and, and that's really on purpose, because they don't want to kind of, I don't know what it is you said, but yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Just put that out there. Like. <laughs> <laughs> I think one of the things that... Devious conventions. Yes, yeah. it's, it's a brand. Yeah. It's, it
3: has nothing to do yeah. with... The, the tabletop is where the brand originated from. Oh. I'm sorry, Doug. Yeah. this sort of... It's the brand. And if you go to them, I mean, even us, when we talk to them uh, about licensing, we've been talking to them for quite some time as well. um, It's a a lot of their policies and the way they've structured stuff are dictated at the brand level. And tabletop is just one Aspect of the brand, okay. You know, yeah. the move, there's the movies, the video games, there's the but we all feel games. like it's the core it's and the exactly most important. to us, one. it's what's it's most important, yeah. but yeah. In,
4: in the grand of no, 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 when I opened my point. book, in, I was 11 and I opened and I rubbed yeah. the, the crayon
1: into my dice. And here's well, something different. Thing. My question is, how come everyone focuses only on the book? Because every book, yeah, yeah, every yeah. part of tabletop. Gets minis, gets a screen, yeah. gets extra content that that's not just a book. That's right, yeah. So I mean, they're, I mean, and Wizards isn't producing all of them themselves. They've reached out to license yeah, partners: with yeah, WizKids yeah. Gale Force Nine, making amazing products. So I think uh, we've got some pretty amazing tabletop experience. Yeah, yeah. With Five E, and, and I just said before, maybe the book's irrelevant,
4: and we all should stop out clinging onto it. Maybe the next generation won't. Maybe yeah, D and D will exist purely digitally and wonderfully.
3: The reason that I said that it was unfortunate they're not here is one thing I think would be ideal, especially for all of you guys, is they don't need some huge presence like they used to have. Mm -hmm. What would be ideal, though, is if they had a small footprint where they had one little kiosk that just said, you know, Dungeons and Dragons on it, which is the coast. But otherwise, in that booth were little satellite exposures to all of their licenses. So you guys would would be in there. (laughs) Each of of you guys would would have your own little spot in there. The Gale Force 9 does have a little uh, spot there, etc. And that then becomes a conduit for everybody who plays D&D but doesn't know about this this whole assortment of options. Comes in, gets exposed to all the alternatives that are out there and the breadth of support the game has, and then they can go off to the separate booths for each of you guys and learn more about those where they just get a taste. Sure. Yeah. well
0: and Doug you kind of did that right when in their their live meltdown event it didn't happen here at
2: checktown yeah. but yeah. yeah so they did they brought in a lot of you know different partners to talk mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. what what everybody's doing and they brought in the people from uh, Neverwinter Online to talk and they brought mm-hmm. in you know I mean, and there's a licensing thing that they do every year where they bring all the licensees together up there and they share with us like what the next plan is and mm-hmm. And so I'll, I'll bring that up. I think that's a really pretty cool yeah. and novel idea that you could have a D&D land. Yeah, uh, and exactly. we, we all. But you know what? Also, we don't even necessarily need wizards to set that up because mm-hmm. we could also do that. That's right. We could actually, uh, you know, when we all get our booth assignments, a lot of us have seniority as far as like the... We've all been here for so many years that mm-hmm. we could probably just say, hey, we would like to all be grouped together. Mm-hmm. And then maybe we Whoa. could reach out to Watsi and, and be like, hey, can you guys... Maybe support us with some additional, like you know, send us some poster things, to stand, oh, some stand ups, right. and some stuff like that. Yeah, a really kind of you time to say Wizards control. of
3: the Coast, or, or He signed to put in the middle. Yeah. The only, the TV only, circle. the play devil's
2: yeah. advocate to that approach. The only thing is to say to take your your uh, stance. Thank you, thank you is somebody. that we also uh, support other game systems too? Yeah, though, right. That we also love. You know, I <laughs> right. I, I play that's and also a lot of games. And you so have your own booth.
3: So, yeah. So all you have is a little teeny. You know three or four foot um, square space where you can put a little stand to talk about what you've got. You know, the Gale Force 9 and the WizKids guys would have a case of their minis and then a flyer that says, more info, go to booth X. You guys might have a little kiosk with a single screen in it showing off, you know, the beautiful maps and what you guys can do. And Mm -hmm. then more information, go see booth whatever. Yeah. So it's really just a jump off point. But
5: again, I think that's something we can handle ourselves. Yeah,
3: yeah. No, because okay. see,
5: here's the thing: we we know how to go through and find all the people, and we know how to make maps.
6: Yeah.
5: <laughs> <laughs> these guys know, to, these guys know how to go through dungeons. I can have a thing thingy twisted about never been. <laughs> <laughs> at all. Yeah. Uh,
0: so, are there? I think we probably have time for one more. Yeah. Do people have for place things? This has been so cool. Thank you. We've everybody. got time for one more. If anybody's got. Okay. Well, I, there's one thing I, we started to talk about that I'd like to maybe expand on real quick. Um, Doug, you brought up Roll Twenty recently announced right their mm-hmm. own licensing deal. So now we've seen Wizards is uh, partnering with people who are in the same digital space, right? Like yeah. They're partnering with two different virtual tabletops granting right, licenses mm-hmm. there. Yeah. Um, is this a thing that is? good for the business? And it sounds like from what everybody was saying earlier, you know, that it probably is. And it, if so, why? Or if not, why well, not? You
2: know? I, I think it is. Uh, when we signed with Wizards of the Coast, uh, from the very beginning it was never exclusive. And mm-hmm. we knew we didn't ask for it to be exclusive either. And uh, we were just happy to be honest to have the business to have the opportunity to, to represent their products. And, uh, and so, really, each group, there's people that love Roll20 mm-hmm. that will only ever play on Roll20. And there's people that love Fancy Grounds that will never ever play on Roll20. And so vice versa. And then there's D20 Pro fans. And there's so... You know, we people have an investment in that product, not just in cash and capital, but in, in the time and the, the learning, the expertise on how to really milk every little bit of that tool. Uh, and so, you know, why would you not... Why would you not just open it up to as many people as possible? So I, I think it's good. And I think for the competition side, it's good because we'll make it's each true. other all better. <laughs> yep. and, uh, and if totally, we're not, right? then we won't be here in one of the next future years to talk about it. So uh,
5: that's, I think it's a good thing. What do you think? From, from Wizards' standpoint, right? we're, we're, not, we're, we're a large group. You know, we're a large customer base, but we're certainly not the large customer base for a company like Hasbro, even Wizards of the Coast, right? Compared to the Magic, the Gathering Group, the role-playing, people who actually sit down and play role-playing games is a small, a much smaller subset. And then uh, if you add to that the, uh, the emergence of digital tabletops as a more common way to interact in this space, Wizards would be remiss if they were to shut off segments to basically say, yeah, so you're this kind of user and you don't have access to our rules. You're this kind of user and you don't have access to our rules. And so um, this is where the non-exclusive was certainly part of, the, I'm sure, part of their brand intent, you know, mm-hmm. to maintain this ability to allow for larger a larger market share for them because they want to get their rule systems out into your hands through the means that you're using to play. It's like PlayStation and Xbox. You know, it's like uh, mm. people will argue about which one of those is better...
2: But, you know, the smart publishers will publish to both, Mm -hmm. you know.
0: Hmm. Well, uh, I think then before we go, we should probably do a little bit of self-marketing and aggrandizing. Uh, So why don't we talk about, uh, you know, just where people can find you. Uh, We'll reiterate the booth numbers. And also, there's tons of cool swag up here. We got one bookshelf pencils and we got some swag. Yeah. 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 discounts on D&D comics, That's and we've true. got flyers, yep. and
5: flyers can be used how, Tobias? Us. They can be used as uh, mini-DM screens. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, so very important. Practical very important. value. Uh, of
5: so why don't we start with Ben
0: on the end. Ben, where can people find you if they want to learn more? So h- does everyone know what Sirenscape is?
4: Yeah, it's good. It makes amazing sound and music. It's the best thing that does it. <laughs> <laughs> the one one four three, um, right next door to Lone Wolf. You can come and try it, and most importantly, you can come and give us some sounds. We're recording heroes and villains for future sound sets. Nice. And if you get included, then you get your name in lights in the credits, and we we give you the product free. And people are having super duper fun in our. Basically, people go into a little booth, we zip it up, and then they scream in horror is pretty much what happens. (laughs) Into the microphone. Do do they come out? So far, they have. That's right. Uh, We're uh,
5: 1754. Um, You can tell us because we're over by Exhibitor Services, which has the best AC in the building. Um, (laughs) They take care of themselves. Uh, uh, We're D20 Pro Virtual Tabletop. you know, network solution for playing role-playing games, board games, and the like. And we have uh, plenty of demos set up. We're doing a a random encounter giveaway. You come in, roll a D20 on our encounter table, see where you end up, maybe walk away with licensed content, uh, all sorts of fun prizes. Definitely stop by, possibly
3: even the D20.
6: Uh,
3: We're Lone Wolf Development. I'm Rob Bowes. We're in booth 1143, same as Ben. We're next to our neighbors. Um, and that kind of comes back to these are talking about like co-locating for great yeah. crossover and such. Maybe we should all talk about doing a, like a, yeah. um, a digital tools ah. peninsula or island yeah, somewhere. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But we do uh, Hero Lab character creation. We do RealmWorks, which is all the campaign management stuff. And um, our products tie in nicely with all of these guys. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Uh, you can come see Fancy Grounds at 10:41. We've got um, a couple of big TVs set up with d 5th edition is mostly loaded, but we're willing to load up any of our other rule sets that we have, too, and kind of walk you through that, give you some demos. I did want to do a quick shout-out to, um, if you're interested just to see how it plays, every Sunday night at, uh, I think it's at 9 p.m. Eastern, we'll have a Twitch stream where we're actually playing Fantasy Grounds. This Sunday it's going to be a different group of people because I'm not going to get back in time to play, uh, but every other Sunday uh, they'll have a lot of people from Smiteworks, Fantasy Grounds, and uh, Chris Lindsay from Wizards of the Coast is on there. Robert Aducci, the community uh, coordinator for uh, the D&D Adventure League, is on there. And I'm going to start like bringing in a lot of our our other industry friends into that to, to hop in and to be <laughs> guest spots for us, you know, over time. And so we're right now we're mostly playing the D&D Adventure League, but we'll actually branch out and play
1: either other games on there too. So uh, we don't have a booth, but you can find us at DMsguild.com and DriveThruRPG.com. And I'm wandering around the convention handing out swag. And Carolyn in the back there, look for our shirt. We've got some cool giveaways. Mm-hmm. I've got one little quick plug I want to throw. Also, tonight, Ben oh, is yeah. doing
3: something called Live RPG Plus, where they've got a bunch of the um, uh, amazing Pathfinder Pop, Pop Royalty,
4: Eric. Yeah. yeah, uh, yeah.
3: Uh, and it's basically a live, a live gaming yeah. thing that's got all the sound effects, and it's it's quite the, the shindig. Check it out; it's stupidly really, really cool. crazy. Yeah.
4: Audience um, contributions, we mess with the players. They see if they can survive. It's very, very funny. Yeah. That Sounds awesome. That sounds
5: awesome. Uh, last thing I'll add in: we actually have in the JW at two location on the second floor, right by Starbucks, and on the third floor, um, not anywhere near Starbucks. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, some we're playing, we're running games every uh, three hours. They're crawl events, they're in the schedule. Um, And then tomorrow, tomorrow, Sunday, right? Yeah, Yeah, tomorrow, uh, 1 o'clock, doing a final walkthrough tutorial. It's just a walk up, and we'll give you nuts and bolts from uh, start to finish on map making and management in D20 Pro. On the third floor. Cool. cool.
0: Well, everybody, I'm James at Uh the The TomeShow.com is going to be the place where you can find uh, this as a podcast, and you'll also be able to find a few other Gen Con panels as well. Uh, you can also find me at HaveSpellbook.com and uh, at WorldBuilderBlog.me. Please give our panel an amazing round of applause for <laughs> everyone. We appreciate all the work that they do and Thank you, you guys have been a great uh, audience, and uh, enjoy the rest of Gen Con. Come get some swag.